you're listening to the Padawan Perspective Podcast, a multi-generational Star Wars experience. Brought to you by the Star Wars Report 2nd Airborne Division Podcast Network. With your hosts, Mark, Barrett, Taylor, and Farrow. Join us as we discuss the Rebels TV show on Disney XD, as well as Star Wars fandom across the galaxy. On the Padawan Perspective, the multi-generational podcast of the Star Wars Report 2nd Airborne Podcast Division. Welcome to the Padawan Perspective, your multi-generational podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Herleman, and joining me today, we've got my daughter, Taylor Jade. Hello. As well as my son, Gavin Davis. Hello. And joining us, as always, we have our man with the plan, Mr. Barrett Lawton and his son, Pharaoh. How are we doing, guys? Hey, Mark. It's good to be back, and it's good to be back with your Padawans, and here's my Padawan. Hello. How you doing, Padawan? I'm doing pretty good, Jedi Master. Man. You're doing pretty uh, fighting epic. I watched some uh, videos of you, Mr. Kung Fu fighting. Well, actually, that's not the right martial art, but you were moving that fast. I was impressed, nonetheless. Oh, for uh, for boxing? Yeah, Mr. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I saw two different videos on Facebook. Oh, okay, sweet. Yeah, thank, thank you. He's been uh, doing boxing for almost a year now, so he's uh, getting a little faster. A lot I, I could tell by this the quick moment of of wait what how do you know that like he was like dad you you've been sharing that like were those were those practice were those actual sparring what were those exactly well that was just practice uh, my coach he holds up like what would be kind of considered flat boxing gloves they're like cushions for his hands they're called mitts and it's basically practicing on like the mitts are targets and you have to hit where the mitts are and the combination that he calls out. Excellent. Excellent. Nice. Well, yeah, we had some stuff going on along here. Uh, Taylor just got done doing some dancing, but let's move into the episode itself. An Inside Man is a 10th episode of the animated television series Star Wars Rebels, the third season, and it aired on December 3rd, 2016 on Disney XD. All right. So we've noticed recently that there have been two synopsises, depending on where you're watching this. Now, if you're going to StarWars.com's official episode guide, you'll get one. And then your local TV provider, of course, for us, it's Charter, provides another one. So the first one, the one from the episode guide itself, Kanan and Ezra infiltrate an Imperial factory on Lothal, making shocking discoveries, while Grand Admiral Thrawn continues his plans to crush the growing rebellion. Now, from the local TV, we get Seeking information on a new Imperial weapon, Ezra and Kanan infiltrate the Imperial factory on Lothal, but they must trust an unlikely ally to escape a lockdown of the building. Dun, dun, dun. You know, I find it very interesting that they have two different, possibly more, because you said that what you read was the second one was your local TV listing, correct? From from Cox Cable? I This was Charter for us. Charter, Charter. Yeah, for us so it was Charter, Charter and this was, we, we were watching the direct TV. Yep. Okay, so we have Time Warner, so I think next time we'll do the synopsis, and we're going to find out exactly what the Time Warner is, because it could be have several different explanations or several different descriptions of how this show is going to go, and depending on what description you hear might depend on how you're going to view the episode. I mean, you know, the episode's still the same episode, but if you read two different descriptions, you don't really know what you're getting into. 
In one of them, it mentions Grand Admiral Thrawn, and in the other one, he's not mentioned at all in any way, so it's like, you'll go into the episode two different ways, but you'll still be getting the same episode, so I don't know, it's like, it, it doesn't really make that big of a difference, but it's still like, it's still a change. We always say preconceived notions can make or break, uh, you know, a, an episode for a person. If you come in with high expectations of certain things, with Grand Admiral Thrawn in one of these, you're like, ooh, I mean, automatically that piques certain fans' interest, but with a title like an inside man with the second one saying they have to trust an unlikely ally to escape like that immediately i was like "Ooh, the inside man i wonder who it could be i mean we've we've known for a while i've had suspicions but i don't know i mean preconceived notions and perceptions going in could make or break this for some people it depends on your point of view on which synopsis you might have read i honestly like baron said i didn't know that admiral thrawn was in this grand admiral thrawn he's getting really really close to catching the rebels ah the suspense okay i like that so so you like the idea of the threat being announced. Grand Admiral Thrawn is tightening the net. He's almost got the rebels. Thrawn is getting, you know, Thrawn is getting, like, very close. Now he's on Lothal, you know, Ezra's home planet, and every time he gets, like, closer and closer, you know? He's finding out, like, more about the rebels. Connecting the dots. No, that was really illustrated in this episode. We see a moment where he's got all the artwork and stuff. And uh, some of the things that jumped out to me in that scene, especially where we see some Mandalorian uh, stuff in the background. Gavin pointed out there was the, the Jedi Guardian mask. Thanks, bud. Uh, and we don't even know if that's actually the one that Kanan had or the first Inquisitor, the Grand Inquisitor, I should say. It's interesting how that connection is there. But I really I found the Mandalorian one very interesting in light of where the recent episodes have kind of gone with that because it's like what is that is that just a picture of say sabine's history or is that a picture of say the mandalorian jedi wars that we've had a mention of uh which we'll have later i mean if, if you're watching these episodes chronological at this point this is probably the only thing along that line that we've had so i thought that was kind of cool but when you have kala sitting there and, and giving thrawn that additional information about the logo and it being the crest for phoenix squadron and stuff like gavin said that threat is more readily apparent than ever before. And I think one of the coolest things about when Thrawn's there is that organ. You know, I mean, they've had that organ music playing, but when he's doing it now, they're mixing it with the symphony music uh, and, and you're hearing the strings and stuff with that organ and the suspension is just building up and you're just like, oh my God, like what is going on? And I really feel like that music is really what's doing it. It's got that very much that haunted mansion feel from Disneyland. I wouldn't say scarier. I would be like more like nerve wracking. So... You called it, Mark. You called it. Fulcrum is Agent Callus. Yeah, yeah, or he's one of many. Um, you know, yeah, I've thought that for a while. I'm, I'm actually surprised. I mean, usually I'm not right. So, like, Rogue One and this, I was kind of like, wow, like, I'm calling things. I, I, I better be careful. Yeah, I want to talk to the Padawans. Do you like Fulcrum now? Because before Fulcrum was doing some things for the Rebels... He was kind of unlikable. He was responsible for Zeb's people to be wiped out. I mean, he said that he's the one who gave the order for that. Now he's helping the rebels as Fulcrum. Do you think that what he's doing now makes up for all the bad he's done for the Empire? This is like the same thing as the Darth Vader debate. At the end, he kills Emperor Palpatine, but like what he's done before that, it doesn't really make up. I mean, well, he has done that one good thing, but... If you think of all the bad, it doesn't really weigh out for him being, like, 
a likable character. He's still kind of a likable character, but I think he's still like the bad guy and, and perceived that way. Yeah, he's responsible for genocide. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like it's gonna take a lot more than like one deed to bring him actually good and stuff because he's done a lot of bad in the past. I agree with you, Pharaoh. What I think was. Well, I never even saw the one where Zeb, like, recruited him or whatever on the Frost Planet. I never saw that episode, so I don't really have much to say about it. Yeah, surprisingly, Gavin was spending the night at a friend's house when that episode was on, and it's been deleted. we got to go back and and watch that. I'm going to look online, because that one, I think that's when I was really like, oh, man, they got to go this route. And it was when Zeb goes, oh, I must have recruited him. Accidentally. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Like, I, I was almost like, well, did you? Because like, there's one part I'm like, well, maybe he was already leaning that way. I mean, everything he did with, with Zeb's people and stuff, like that's got to weigh heavy. Maybe he was already the Agent Kallus guy, already cr- recruited by someone else. Yeah, well, that's kind of where I was thinking too. And maybe part of that with, with Zeb was part of Kallus is trying to win them over because he threw that in, in their face. He threw helping Sabine in their face. I mean, he immediately came clean. I mean, I, I love that moment. It was like Winter Soldier when that scene happened in the elevator. Anybody want to get off? Like, I, I like the fact that he immediately came clean. Like, you were like, do we trust him or don't we trust him? Uh, there was some great dialogue in this, <laughs> as usual. You know, I think one of the things with Taylor we were watching and it was with Price showing up because they mention this being the first time that they, the rebel crew really notices price. And I was like, well, wait a minute. She's been around before. But then I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, no, this is really their first viewing of her. And Taylor was like really creeped out by one feature. Oh my gosh. Her eyes creep me out really bad. I was like, her eyes creep me out. And my dad's all like, write that down. I was like halfway through it. Wait, what's her name? He's all like governor price. (laughs) Governor. Yeah. Governor price. And he's all like, uh, she looks like somebody, and so he looked who she was. Yeah, yeah. So her name is Erinda Price, and they actually she looks very much like Kate Blanchett, uh, the Indiana Jones and the and the uh, Crystal Skull, her Nazi persona. Like it, it's almost uncanny. They had to have used that specifically for that model, uh, but I, I like that. And, and Taylor had never had no idea what that was, so I had to pull it up. I'm like, oh, you gotta check this out. Like it's it's just way too funny when they do that kind of stuff. Uh, but but we see that moment from Ezra and Kanan because they've smuggled themselves into the facility. The rebels are working on the inside. They're breaking down parts and stuff, which was pretty dangerous in a lot of regards. I mean, when you see where the rebels are at in uh, Somner, I kept thinking, like, that's not a smart base. They're hiding behind those rocks, right? And they've got those little football field light, stadium lighting up above the rocks. I'm like... Man, you could see that. That's so lit up from so far away. This isn't like some, you know, puffer pig milking compound or something. They're not masquerading as a farm. They're just hiding in the rocks. And you got all this light going on. And it's like, what the heck is going on here? Like, I don't know. That seemed to me like a total dumb maneuver on the Rebels part. I don't know if you guys thought the same. Like, uh, Tay said that uh, Price's eyes creep her out. It, it, like, Price... She looks worse and worse every time. Like, like her eyes are super baggy. She looks like Obama at his last moments. She's like, she, like, she looks so worn out. I was looking at her eyes, and like from far away, her eyes look like cat eyes. No, I like, I like how you put that, Pharaoh, because they, you could tell she's definitely feeling the pressure. But as far as your question goes, was it a smart, was it a smart move 
to infiltrate? Is that what you're asking? Was it a smart move to infiltrate this factory at this time? Because they don't really explain why the rebels are back on Lethal. Do they? they were, they're just kind of on there. Just the, the fact that the Imperial presence has increased and now we know why. I mean, one of the things that jumped out to me right off the bat was how barren Lethal is. I'm like, oh my God, like there's really nowhere for these guys to run. Like, had it not been for those parts blowing out, Ryder and them would have been captured right then and there. We've seen this corridor before. Obviously, this is like the main road that goes into downtown Lethal or something like that. The the rebels have gotten away a few times on this corridor. It would not be that hard to put up a gate or two, you would think, but it's always like wide open, man. Okay, so I don't want to change the subject, but I'm going to change the subject. Beginning middle-ish of the episode, they were in their infiltrating clothes. They're walking in one of the hallways, and Ezra and Kenny just punched the uh, troopers and stuff, and it just knocked them out. But the way they did it made it look like super like cheesy and stuff. So it was just it wasn't anything to knock them out. I don't know if that was just from my perspective or something, but it just looked really weird. It was a force punch. <laughs> that was like that was one of the cheesier moments, but they did have some good action scenes in this episode. Like the part where they're on a land speeder and then they what's the ATST? Is that what it's called? Kanan and Ezra, they're like uh both on the land speeder. They cut off the ATST's like legs as it was moving, and then like the land speeder's just was speeding down the thing. So that was really cool. Yeah, they used a lot of Jedi powers in here, and the one that really comes to my mind is when they're trying to to make their escape good fulcrum you know i gotta call him fulcrum now agent callus says you know we gotta make i gotta make this look good and ezra kind of shoots him force pushes him through the glass you know that was a cool scene you know it was really quick it kind of shows how powerful ezra is getting i thought that was really cool ezra what that was convincing it's cool how the speeders that the one guys were riding, the stormtroopers, if they get to like 190, they will just like overheat, blow up. That was also kind of sad when that happened to the the uh, rebel spy on the inside. When Sumar climbed on the bike and Thrawn told him he had to take it to full speed, he knew what was going to happen. And yet he chose to go down fighting. He kept his mouth shut. You know, he did that ruse all the way to the end and it cost him his life. I mean, that was an intense moment for the show. Here's another point where Rebels connects to Rogue One. Now we have the idea that there are people in the Empire who are building things for them and that are purposely making them to self-destruct. When Ryder says to Kanan that it was your your friend, it was an old friend of yours, this idea for people to infiltrate into this warehouse into this factory and sabotage the machines the empire machines they're setting up there's people you know not just galen urso that's doing this but there's a whole network of people that are doing this maybe galen urso got the idea from this who knows but it is a connection to rogue one yeah galen went out of his way to keep everything completely on the down low which was pretty cool i mean you know that was kind of like the redemption of galen moment so I, i don't necessarily think they're connected but it is cool that you are seeing the resistance you know, showing more. I'm still questioning who is the official leader of the Phoenix cell. You know, I mean, is it is it Santo? Is it Bale? Is it Mon Mothma? Is it Stop at Para? I mean, where where's that leadership really lie? <laughs> now, when Thrawn showed up, this is also the first moment that Ezra and Kanan, I think, have seen Thrawn in the flesh. And yet Thrawn's been studying them. 
so when he saw Ezra, like there was a moment where I was just like, oh, he's 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 got him. You know, I was surprised he didn't recognize Ezra. I mean, with that Aladdin-like face, you know, it's not too uncommon. Make no mistake that Thrawn remembers everything. Maybe the rebel squadron leadership is like everyone leads or they don't really have one main leader to make all the ideas. The one other thing is like when the rider dude was turning the speeder around and there was that stormtrooper on the giant gunning thing. How Ezra took out his gun so quickly and shot him in the face. That was a great shot. Yeah, and I think, Pharaoh, you touched on that too earlier about how Ezra and Kanan, they're really working together as a good team. And, and that moment was a really good moment. I mean, they, you know, Ezra, for not being trained at the temple, him and Kanan are starting to look very much like Kenobi and Qui-Gon or Kenobi and Anakin. But he definitely, he's starting to, to feel like a full-fledged Jedi or at least a Jedi Padawan. Yeah, they, they really are starting to look more like a duo, like two Jedis, like, working together, like you said, Anakin and, and Obi-Wan. So they, they remind you of the old style, or does it give you uh, a new style feel? It feels like Ezra isn't learning much anymore. He's just going with what he knows and whatever Kanan tries to tell him. Ezra's not picking it up, learning that new thing. He's kind of plateaued. See, I, I, I get a kind of a mixed feel. I mean, the two of them clearly are something new. You know, I mean, they, they mix technologies. They live in an era where your standard Jedi isn't able to be a standard Jedi, but they definitely have that Kenobi and Qui-Gon feel, that well-worked-together feel of that brother-in-arms kind of thing that you can only get while being on the run, I guess. I don't know whether to think of them as a old or new, because I haven't watched any of the old ones a really Star long Wars time. Is still new enough to you? Yeah, so I guess I would have to say new-ish. Mm. Ish. Ish. New-ish. They feel like a new duo. They feel like fresh and new, but it still feels like they would do some damage like the older ones, but they still feel like a, like a new pair. They do feel like a force to be reckoned with. To me, they feel like the Jedi of old. You know what I mean? That you can count on them, that uh, they're, they're going to do the right thing. They really haven't touched on Ezra messing with the dark side or opening up that Sith holocron or anything. So that there, I know Filoni's going to touch on that eventually. They're going to have to come back to that. One of the cool things I've always enjoyed with Star Wars is anytime they steal Imperial armor. So we see Kane and he steals the regular standard Stormtrooper armor. Ezra, of course, steals the Scout armor. And again, we see Chopper in his Imperial disguise. You know, we see the figure for Kanan in a version of Stormtrooper armor. Not exactly this one, but close to it. I'm ready to see a Chopper with the Imperial disguise. I mean, it's not that hard to do. Chopper's a fun droid. You've got droids in all kinds of colors and stuff in the R2 models. Why not another Chopper? It was interesting, though, that I felt like Chopper was what gave away Kanan and Ezra to Kallus. Uh When they got on there, you know, there was really nothing to give them away. They didn't say anything or anything like that and he just he immediately kind of latched on to that fact that that was them so i figured it had to have been chopper uh but there was also something else i noticed about chopper in this episode and that was with the id card when they got the clearance code id he really has nowhere to hide it like other droids you know other droids have a little slot yeah he had it with his arm just grabbed it to the other one and gave it to him 
Yeah, say that again, Gav. What'd you say? He was like holding it to his chest to make it like flat so they wouldn't recognize it. So then it would look like he took it out of a slot. See, and I like the way you said that because that's what I thought of too was he was playing the cards close to his, you know, up his sleeve, close to the heart. You know, he's like, he's like a card shark. And it was kind of a fun moment for him. But yeah, I was like, oh, wow. Chopper has no, uh, you know, there's interesting things about that model. And I could see why. Eventually, they become obsolete. But there was something funny about Callus having some respect for Chopper. Trust me, your droid, trust me. And Ezra's like, yeah, that's not such a good thing. Then there's another part where he's talking about it. Ezra said something, and Chopper was like, well, at least he understands good, you know, good a good soldier when he sees it or something like that. You could get that camaraderie from Chopper when he was just like, yeah, this guy, he knows. This guy's in charge, and he can recognize a quality droid when he can see it. Come on, Ezra, get with the program. <laughs> it's funny how a droid can interact really well with the Imperial spy or something like that. I thought it was the part where it was when they were first came in and he's like, you got a good type of droid and stuff, and then he said it. Yeah, it was it was Ezra goes figures, Chop would get along with an Imperial spy, and then Chopper does this, which of course I was like, at least he knows quality work. You definitely got the sense that Chopper was proud of himself, and he was like, hey, hey, this guy's Fulcrum, guys. Come on, back off. I like the paint that they put on Chopper. It's a really cool paint job with the black and red. Like you said, Mark, they were just in clone trooper armor clone troopers don't have droids you know so it he did kind of give it away but the paint job that they gave him in this episode i thought it was cool with the black and red it'd be a cool toy to have but it's such a small feature it'd be like a money a money bank <laughs> a money they, grab oh yeah money grab if they if they did do that but it'd be a cool yeah toy. you know another thing that jumped out in that scene where thon is studying everything was that there were some wolf drawings in the corner. There's some wolf pack aspects. We saw a big tribal looking picture of a wolf's head like it's howling up at the moon kind of thing. And then we see what looks like some wolf riders. I thought that was kind of cool. We see a picture of Chom, Hera, and Chom's wife. So a little family photo. And that gets back to that aspect. There was a lot of pictures of Ezra. I was honestly surprised he didn't jump on that. I mean, Thrawn is clearly cleaning house fast. The noose is tightening. And I think some of these guys aren't careful. They're going to go down. I go back and forth with Callus. Does Thrawn know that Callus is working for the rebels or is Callus going to have enough of a mystery as to who is fulcrum who is the mole that he can plant it on price because i think price is in position to be the fall gal i don't know if anyone else feels like that but i i feel like in the end she could take all the rap for Callus's behavior i think ron does know that he's Callus because they, they work together especially on thrawn's power like he don't mess around anything that you know he needs to know it would make sense that thrawn knew and i'm gonna have to agree with my padawan i think thrawn does know because when he's speaking to governor price about the mole right who's the only one who's not there yeah Callus and other times departed other times when they're speaking of their plans against the rebels or something like that callus has been there and thrawn has always he's singling callus out asking him certain questions like what do you think and you wouldn't do that unless you're suspectful of somebody so i think he knows that it's callus and I think he's going to use Callus just like he says he's going to use Callus. Because he even asks Callus. He says, we're going to find out who it is, and then we're going to use him for our benefit. Isn't that right, Agent Callus? So I thought it was cool how Kanan's all, we had a chance, and then Ezra's all, we had a pretty good chance. Yeah, that was a good moment. I like Mance Ryder. He was like, we thought you were in the smaller one. <laughs> like, yeah, a little sleight of hand there. Speaking of the uh, ATDP, one of the really cool moments, for me, it kind of really resonated, was that feeling of being inside a small little tank. 
they're in that small little walker. It's smaller than, than the basic chicken walker, the ATST. You're on Lethal with that barren openness. That's not a place I would want to be. I think about when I'm playing the Battlefront game and stuff. Every time I'm in one of those, I get blown away really fast when there's an ATAT. So the fact that the drivers were all like, well, what are we going to do? You got to clear the way. Well, we'll just drop it on them. Like, I thought that was a kind of a cool moment for the Imperials. But it really it, it added that moment of, oh, man, they're so hosed. There, there's no getting out of this. So when they ignited the lights, it was just like, oh, yes, this is this is a good moment. And that's that again got to that feeling of the Anakin and Kenobi that that working together as a good crew. I mean, that's also what we saw in The Phantom Menace with Kenobi and Qui-Gon when they busted out their sabers to get out of the gas. They're working together. And I think that those are the key moments here for us. You brought this up, but like now that I notice it, there's like five different AT droids in this episode. Yeah, it's very hard to keep track of. We had an R4, there was an R5, uh, an R2 with the clear dome. There was quite a few droids. I have, you know, I'm I'm also a fan of the droids, so I appreciate that as well. For the new ship, secret plans, blueprints for the Tie Defender. I thought that was really cool that they had made a whole new Tie Fighter with shields and stuff like that. And how Hera was saying that nobody's done that before. It just brought the Empire up to a whole nother level. And see, the TIE Defender is actually a ship from Legends. It was from a lot of the video games. Going all the way back to the original X-Wing computer game and TIE Fighter that followed it. could fly in those. So that was a really cool Legends aspect that they brought forward. And the fact that the TIE Fighters haven't had shields and stuff, that was always something that helped them stay ahead of the game. But what's interesting to note about is that... Later on, during, I think it's Bloodlines, we find out that the First Order is doing this with TIE Fighters and putting them in there. So these TIE Defenders must not get greenlit or they get sabotaged enough that they don't get out to become something that's major and standard in the galaxy. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, they kept calling it uh, a secret weapon. So you didn't know, you're like, dude, is this the Death Star? They talk about the Death Star. And then at the end, you're like... Oh, it's a new TIE fighter. But again, I get back to that aspect of the First Order in Bloodlines, and this is years and years later that they're now starting to put shields in TIE fighters and stuff, and they're cranking them out like this is the first thing. So I don't think these TIE defenders are going to see very much action before they get taken off the playing board. Is that the? Is it the same TIE fighter from Rogue One? They have like the. They have the same wing. They look very similar though. They're very similar to the Striker, uh, but the difference with the Striker is that the Striker isn't even a full TIE fighter. It's basically an air speeder. It can't actually fly into outer space, uh, which is odd because, you know, I have the the model for that for the Hot Wheels and the titanium diecast and its pod, the cockpit and stuff is about the size of the pod on a on a TIE bomber and not an Imperial TIE fighter. So you would think it would have more than enough room to house whatever engine it would need. But apparently in one of those guidebooks and stuff, they say it's just an airspeeder, that that striker. But the, the wings and stuff are definitely very reminiscent. It is very similar there is another version of a tie striker where the wings are at a triangle like they're pointing towards it there's a couple different variations of this design that have been out there that hopefully we'll see make the jump into canon that is one of the cool things about the tie design in legends i mean we saw things like tie tanks 
tie submarines. There were all sorts of tie innovations, like the the claw craft that the Chiss used. It was a uh, mixture of an X-wing and the Tie Fighter and the Chiss with Thrawn. They developed that based off of what the Rebels and the Imperials were doing. They were like, "Hey, let's take the best of both of these, put them together, and they came up with the Chiss claw craft, which was a killer craft in and of itself." So, for final thought, my total and honest opinion from like a one to ten, it would probably be between a five, six, seven between those three numbers. I feel like it was a good episode, but it had some down points at the same time. I would give it like a five. Grand Admiral Thrawn is about catch the rebels and I have a feeling like maybe soon, like maybe in the next season or something, he's gonna catch one and he's gonna threaten the other rebels to come out of hiding or he'll kill like Ezra or Kanan or one of the other people there. I thought this was a pretty good episode. I'd probably give it like a six or a seven. You can see some things that you recognize and it's it's a, it was a cool episode i thought for me on a scale of one to ten with them going back to lothal i agree with my padawan it's always nice when they go back because that's where they started seeing thrawn i mean every time i see thrawn i just think i just thank feloni you know when i see him next time i'm gonna say feloni thank you so much for bringing in thrawn i mean how lucky are we that we have thrawn in rebels I mean, the other people are going to get books, but we have Thrawn. I mean, he's just bringing in things that are just amazing from the EU. And he is an EU god as far as I'm concerned. He's very faithful. He has to change some things up because some things will work in a book that will not work on screen. But he is faithful to the EU. And all the mess that people talked about Filoni in Clone Wars, how he changed this and that. He is being faithful, and he's the reason why we have Thrawn, you know, and why we're going to have talks of the Mandalorian Wars and stuff like that. I mean, Filoni, my hat's off to him. With that in mind, I I would give this a 7, definitely a 7. Thrawn is getting closer and closer to our Rebels. It's only a matter of time before they slip up. It was nice to see... Thrawn work his way through the problem as our rebels were fighting their way to freedom we can see how his thought process is some of the the actions that he does take and some of the the actions that he doesn't take he says let's play their game you know he just wants to see kind of how the rebels react to what he does in real time those calculations are always going to be there and you're not going to be able to pull that same trick Thrawn is a good adversary so I I give us a seven I love it see I was going to go with a five at first I was thinking you know this one didn't have a lot of action it was kind of middle ground but then I stopped and I was listening to my Padawans and they were giving it a long those lines and I was like you know I've got to I've got to provide a master type point of view here and so I started thinking about it a little differently and and one thing like you say you know Filoni is good at is delivering nuggets and then paying off later and I think that this episode while there was payoff with what was going on with Callus, I think there is going to be more payoff down the road. Like I said, with the tie defenders, I don't think that we're going to see these getting much action. But what action I think we will see is going to be spectacular. So I think that this is a setup there. I think with Callus finally coming out of the closet, so to speak, being, uh, you know, Fulcrum, having that come forward, that was a payoff. You know, as me as somebody that's been wanting that, I was pretty stoked. But now there is the threat, the ominous threat of does Thrawn know? And they are playing that very well. I mean, the way that that was done, the way he came at Callus with the comments and stuff, you could say it's either way. This is a, uh, 
you know, the Darth Bane moment where you're like, did he or didn't he? You know, you're like, did, did he die? I don't know. Uh, yeah. You got to go and read that book to know. But it's one of those moments. And I think that that's the, the big thing here is that payoff that we're going to get later as well as the payoff that we got now. And it's the payoff later, I think, that's really going to deliver. So I'm giving this one a 7.5. I almost went 8, but it was a little slower, so I'm giving it a 7.5. I do think that we are going to come back to a lot of the plots here and a lot of the theme, and I think it's really going to come back around majority on Callus. Those tied defenders, if they're going to go down somehow... Callus is the last line or the first line of defense for the rebels against. I think that that's going to be what's going to take him out of out of the game, if anything. And he's going to take them out. I have a feeling that that's where we're going with Callus. You and my dad, you guys are both like freaking out over Thrawn. You know, like he's so cool. He's in rebels, but he hasn't <laughs> done anything yet. Well, well, there's nothing to like judge him on. You see the books, but he hasn't done anything from the books besides be cool with his blue face. Like he hasn't done anything, you know. Oh, but Pharaoh, you haven't you haven't seen what he's done. So in the last was it two episodes back when we were in Iron Squadron, he found out that the family connection is there. He's known that the that the Phoenix Squadron themselves see themselves as a family, and he knows that that family will draw to the actual family members of the rest of that through Santo. They use Santo's own nephew against him, so he now knows he can pull those strings. And they made a terrible mistake by going back to Lethal because by going back to Lethal. They've told Thrawn that Lothal is important. Thrawn hasn't figured out why, but he does know that it is important. So now all he's got to do is put these pieces together and start to wrap it up. Now that he knows that there is a mole on the inside, that's one more piece on the puzzle to play against. Uh, I, I don't know how much chess you play, but one of the things that is fun for me as I teach my scouts to play chess is once they start playing and thinking five moves ahead, the game takes on a totally different challenge when you're thinking out, you know, if I go here, they go there and I go here. No, I won't do that. And, and, and you haven't even made the moves yet, but you're playing half the game in your mind because you know that this other person is going to do that because they have have that education and that's the danger of Thrawn now granted I will give you that what we've seen so far doesn't look like much but what I know about Thrawn I believe I totally believe is going to pay off in the long run well he's like he's like watching them but he hasn't really taken any of this knowledge into action yet that's what makes him I think young Padawan a wonderful adversary because like like Mark said it will pay off and we can only assume that someone is going to have to make the ultimate sacrifice for the rest of the group, and who will that be? Especially with Thrawn, it's going to happen. Indeed. So we can only wait for more and hope for greatness. So that wraps up this episode of The Padawan's Perspective. We'd like to thank you guys for hanging around with us as we talk Star Wars Rebels and for joining us today. You can find our episodes directly on the Star Wars Report Second Airborne Podcast Network at www.starwarsreport.com. So for The Padawan's Perspective, this has been Mark, Taylor, Gavin, Pharaoh, and Baron. Until next time, I'm sure everything will go horribly wrong. Thank you for listening to our show. For more content, please like our Facebook and Twitter pages. Theme song by Subconscious Tunes. Announcements by Brock. Sponsored by War Machine Marketing. Remember, you can find the Padawan Perspective and all the Star Wars Report Second Airborne Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. <laughs>